welcome back to the Reasonable Fan Podcast, the first one since like two and a half months ago when uh, the trade deadline was around, and we have a lot to talk about. So, uh, season's over really quickly. I, I don't think many people actually predicted this coming, although I suppose it's not a huge surprise either, and I know there's a lot of disappointment uh, around the city now after the Flames flamed out in the playoffs. But uh, I think there's a lot of positives to take away from from this season, just in general. As disappointed as everyone is right now, this was a greatly successful season. And I know everything is judged on what happens in the playoffs, but we can't ignore the fact that the Flames did finish first in the West throughout the the course of the regular season. They uh, overcame literally every prediction that uh, was made about them at the start of the season. And... um, it ended up being wildly successful. And, and if you all remember um, my prediction from one of my first podcasts that I did this year is that the, the Flames shouldn't have been expected to do much in the playoffs anyways. Did we expect them to, to go out in five games to the Colorado Avalanche? No, but um, this is still a lot better than everyone was expecting. Anyway, today for, for today's podcast, I wanted to go through a bit of a, a post-mortem, if you will, on the... Uh, flame season as it was and a little bit of the playoffs uh, and what happened there. Um, try and dissect what happened, where the Flames go from here, and uh, I guess try and look forward for the, the next season coming up. So the playoffs. What to say about the playoffs? Uh, I, you know, I actually was at the first the first game of the playoffs and what ended up being the last game of the playoffs. And uh, of course I watched all the other ones on TV in between. But uh, I obviously have some thoughts about what's, what's happened. And I, I got to say, as good as the Flames were in the regular season, it became painfully obvious th- throughout the playoffs that th- the playoff game is a different game. It- it's not the same as the regular season. And it's almost as if the standings at the end of the regular season mean nothing in terms of what you've done up until that point. Uh, they-, they mean something... Um, for those who have home ice advantage, which the Flames did, and I guess the Lightning did too, that didn't really matter for them either. But I guess as soon as the playoffs start, like none of that, none of the stats matter. None of the the head-to-head successes matter anymore. I mean, look at the performance of Mike Smith, for example. He was the complete dog shit for the entire season, and then the playoffs, he was like clearly the Flames' best player. So. Yeah, again, that just illustrates that how different of a game the playoffs are. And the, the Flames themselves, they really like to play a, a fast-paced, possession-oriented skill game during the regular season. And that honestly was what made them very successful during the regular season. That's what got them all their wins. That's what got them so many goals. That's what put them in first place in the West to begin with, was that kind of dominant skill. And it it appeared to me, I don't even know if this is the case, this is just me making an observation, that they still tried to play that same game against the Avalanche. Uh, with a few minor tweaks here and there, obviously, to become more physical, but it didn't seem to be all that successful. And you look at the first line in particular, and man, they struggled during this series. With the exception of Elias Lindholm, I actually thought he had a pretty decent series, but Monahan and Goudreau in particular, they kept trying to do the same things and play the same way that they did in the regular season, and they had zero success with it. Like, zero. Game five was probably an exception. Johnny Goudreau seemed to finally figure out how he needed to play to be successful, 
but by that time it was just it was too late. I thought he was most notable noticeable in periods one and two of, of game five than he was for any of the previous games in that series, and that should really tell you something. And so from that, I really hope that the Flames can actually learn a valuable lesson from all of this. And the, the coaching staff as well, too. Like, I don't know how many times they kept beating their heads against the wall trying to you know, force-feed Johnny Gaudreau the puck in the neutral zone only for him to turn it over at the blue line and the Avalanche having an odd man rush coming the back, the, the, back the other way. That was truly the difference in this series. I, I thought the Avalanche and the Flames faced up pretty well against each other. And at the end of the day, I, I, I still think the Flames were overall a better team now before you throw that back in my face the flames couldn't handle the avalanche top line like at all and when it comes down to a battle of the top lines in the playoffs i mean these these guys are your scores these are the ones who are going to carry you and the, the flames death did shine in this series any success that they did have came from lines three and four like Derek ryan had an, an incredible series i thought even garnet hathaway looked pretty good throughout the course of the series but the first line for the Flames didn't show up, and the first line for the Avalanche did, and good God, did they dominate. They, the Flames had no answer, like at all. Whenever there was a push from the, the Avalanche, the Flames couldn't push back at all. Nathan McKinnon just had his way with the Flames, and it was pretty impressive to watch. Like this, this guy is truly an elite talent in the NHL, and I don't think that I, or really anyone else coming into this series, realized just how good this guy was, and we can't really ignore that fact either. It's not that much of an indictment on the Flames that they had no answer for Nathan McKinnon, just because, how do you stop the guy? Like, how? Mark Giordano did his damnedest to, to try and slow him down. And honestly, when they were matched up against each other on the ice, I thought McKinnon was fairly effectively neutralized. But that was when the Flames were actually able to line match enough to get Giordano out there against him. If it was any other defenseman, the Flames were screwed. <laughs> just plain and simple. They, they just don't have enough speed. Like, God forbid McKinnon attacks Brody's side of the ice, and then usually they would score on those plays. Um, the other deadly thing for the Flames this, in this series that made all the difference was their power play. And I remember reading a couple of articles before the, the series started that the Flames were going to have to be very disciplined, otherwise they'd be in trouble. The Flames were not disciplined at all, and they absolutely paid for it time and time and time again. That Avs power play is insane. Like, no, not only McKinnon, but Ranton and two, and Barry, and even uh, Makar when he came in too. Like, they could sling the puck around, uninhibited, get clean shots, tips in, in um, the center ice area. Like, Ranton scored, I think, off of two different tips, the exact same goal. Uh, shots from the, from the half wall. Like, anything that they wanted to do, they could do, and the, the Flames had absolutely no answer for it there. And, and that is the hallmark of an amazing power play. Because the Flames' penalty kill is actually not that bad. That They were decent, but the power play is just so good that they couldn't find an answer to battle back from that. So really, when it came down to it, the Flames were effectively outplayed by the Avalanche. And like going, matching up head-to-head -head with the stats and stuff, like I said before, the Flames actually did appear to be a better team than the Avalanche. But again, the playoffs is a different game. And we saw this in the Tampa Bay-Columbus series, where Tampa Bay, on paper, is clearly the better team than Columbus, especially coming into the playoffs. I don't think anyone expected Columbus to do what they did. The difference, though, 
And you can keep stats about anything. You can keep stats about expected points for per line, um, sh- you know, shot attempts, shots on net, uh, possession time, face-off percentage, all that kind of stuff. But what you absolutely can't quantify and what ends up making the biggest difference in the playoffs between who wins and who loses is effort. And you watch the Flame series against the Avalanche, you watch the Tampa Bay series against uh, Columbus, and what's the difference is the level of effort that you're seeing from those teams. Like how hard was Colorado skating throughout all five of those games? Game five, I think, was a bit of an exception. The same with game one, too. Um, but they, they just, they simply... What the fuck? For some reason, Siri was listening in my pocket. Anyways, um, <laughs> the, the level of effort that the Avalanche put out, the, the Flames, just for whatever reason, they couldn't seem to be able to match that. And, and I don't really know why that was like they kept trying to be their their normal patient possession driven selves but when you have a team taking away all your time and space you're not really you're made uncomfortable you're not able to do what you um, know can make you successful and that really did frustrate the flames quite a bit especially the top line Um, they weren't able to make anything happen when they're playing under pressure and I know when you're trying to play like a, a possession-driven game and, and one that, you know, passes the puck around a lot, gets a lot of movement, you do need a little extra half second of time to be able to look and make those passes. And for basically three straight games, games two through four and five, uh, that's where Johnny Goudreau fell apart in my mind. And it's, it's hard to say that because he's such a special talent and he is a very good player and he is what drives the Flames for most of what they want to do. But... Um, when that time and space was taken away from him, his response was to try and throw a magic pass and hope to God it gets somewhere. Well, nine and a half times out of ten, that pass landed on an avalanche stick and then they had an odd man rush coming back the other way. And as quick as that team was, that's why they scored a lot of their goals is because the Flames would get into the zone. Five seconds later, it'd be going back the other way. And, and that's your top line doing that. Your top line is supposed to be the one driving your play. And so if you want to look for differences that lost the series for the Flames, that was it right there. You'd have very limited zone time, very limited pressure in the offensive zone. And then before you know it, it's going back the other way and the Avalanche have quality shots on net. They're getting extended um, time in in the Flames zone and just exhausting and frustrating the, the Flames top line. And... That's not what you want. Uh, one of the other things that I noticed too from, from being at a few of those games is that the Flames, while they were getting shots, A, they may not have been quality shots, but B, they weren't even hitting the damn net. So if you're looking for extended zone time, if you're looking for some kind of pressure on the Avalanche defensively, you got to hit the net. Like get, get the puck on net because if that happens, you generate chaos, you generate rebounds, you might actually have a chance to keep the puck in the zone. Otherwise, if you miss the net it's probably going to pop out the other end where Brody can't actually save a puck at the line to save his life. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's just a, a one shot and done, and then you're on the defensive again. And so I, I really hope that the Flames can look at this critically. They should look at this critically to figure out where things went wrong. In my mind, the style of play is really what drove a lot of their misfortune in this series. And I will call it misfortune because they did get unlucky a little bit. Um, but there are things that they can fix, and yes, they are fixable. All is not lost here. What The things that went wrong for the Flames are completely fixable, especially with the roster that they have now. They just need to learn that once they get to the playoffs, they can't keep relying on the same things that made them successful uh, in the regular season. 
Now, it may seem like beating a dead horse a little bit at this point because clearly the Flames lost and there, there's no sense in looking back at what could have been, but I'm going to do that anyways. So if we look at the, the makeup of the series, uh, game one in Calgary, Calgary actually dominates the Avalanche. They showed up looking like the team that they should have been and they finished the game the way they should have finished it. It was a 4 nothing game for Calgary in a pretty convincing fashion, to be honest. And Colorado's top line didn't show up. Um, and then they made some adjustments after that. And uh, Don Cherry has said this year after year after year in the playoffs. He said, do not embarrass the other team in the playoffs because that gives them something to work on. It gives them something to fight for, to be pissed off about. And I truly felt like Colorado played pissed off after the first game because Calgary actually did embarrass them in that first game and Colorado didn't like that at all and that's why the tide of the series shifted after that but all that being said out of the five games that were played two of them went to overtime and Colorado won them in overtime and when things go to overtime it's it's not like you know what one is going to be slanted heavily one way or the other it, it is pretty much a 50-50 shot on who's going to win the game and i thought in both games that went to overtime the flames didn't play that poorly yeah in game 2 colorado came out all piss and vinegar and and i think the flames were a little bit shell shocked by all of that um, but it was still fairly even, you know, the, the Colorado was up two to one flames scored a little bit late to tie it two to two and it goes to overtime and McKinnon makes an incredible shot to win that game. So all credit to him for that one. But again, it's overtime. The flames could have easily won that one too. And, um, all of a sudden we're talking about a two nothing series lead going back to Colorado rather than a, a tied series. Uh, similarly for, uh, game four, game three was, was just crap. And so I'm not even going to bother talking about that. The flames were utterly dominated the entire time and it just got out of hand. Game four, on the other hand, was better. The flames played them a lot tighter. The Colorado was still coming with a ton of speed. And yes, the flames did struggle to handle that, especially when line one for the avalanche were out, but it goes to overtime. And I mean, okay. I have some some concerns about how that game went. The Flames were up 2-0. They were looking pretty solid. And then for whatever reason, they decide to sit back. And I personally blame coaching for that one. Why, in a series like this, where you know how the Avalanche are going to take it to you, how fast they are, and how much they can dominate you in your own end, you decide to sit back. Blows my mind why that decision was made. And I truly think it was a coaching decision to do that. You have 10 minutes to go in the, in the third period. You're up 2-0. Only two goals. It's only two goals. Colorado can score on you a lot. And it doesn't matter how well Mike Smith is playing. The man can only face so many shots before he lets a goal in. So, yeah, the Flames sit back. Poor decision uh, strategically, and it ends up going to overtime. Okay, fine, whatever. Um, in overtime, Michael Backlund has a glorious chance to score. If he does... I mean, granted, he misses, then Avalanche come back and, and score, which, you know, happens in overtime all, all the time, I guess. That's just how, how random it really is. But if Michael Backlund scores, I mean, you could be talking about either 3-1 Flames series lead or a 2-2 tied series lead coming back to Calgary for Game 5. But instead, the Avalanche score, and it's, it's a 3-1 series lead coming back to Calgary, and now here we are where we are. My point is, is that I don't think it was as lopsided as it appears outwardly two overtime games don't go the flames way and the flames have glorious chances to win them in both times and they just don't capitalize that's sports folks like that's that can happen so easily so as disappointed as we are to go out in five games uh, things could have looked a little bit differently if some bounces went a little bit differently too but on the same same side 
perhaps the Flames should never have been that in the situation to begin with. Perhaps they should have been playing a different style of game that better played towards their strengths. But um, no, here we are now, and and now we have to deal with. It. Speaking of dealing with it, um, I have two words for this: don't panic. As rough as this seems, the Flames are going to be okay. And a lot of the problems that I just talked about in this podcast are, are fixable problems, which is really good. It, it's not like the Flames have endemic, deep-rooted issues uh, in their style of play, in their personnel. I think this, this has been one of the, the strongest Flames teams that we've seen in a long time. And they're in a very good spot to build from this. And if you think about it, this, this playoff series was the first series the Flames has had as this team proper. I mean, sure, they made the playoffs and they played Anaheim a couple of years ago, but that was still early on. You could say it was kind of fluky. The Flames are coming into their window now where they can be a dominant team and they still have lessons to learn and they have things to improve upon. And so I don't see this all as negative. I see this as a, as a necessary step in their development as a dominant cup contending team eventually in this league. Um, now, obviously, things a lot of things have to go right for the for the Flames or any team to contend for the Cup, but they can put themselves in the best position possible by learning from their mistakes in this series, learning from, about what it takes to be successful uh, in the playoffs in the NHL, because it is one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult, tournaments to win in all of professional sports. Now, to be successful in the playoffs, you have to have players on your roster who get it. The ones who understand that there has to be another gear, that you have to play as if you've got nothing to lose, right? Or every, maybe even everything to lose. The ones who just go out there and, and leave their blood and guts on the ice. And a positive from this is that I actually saw a number of players on this Flames team who played that way. Unfortunately, not all of them were uh, the top tier players of the Flames, and that's something that has to be worked on. But guys like Sam Bennett, for example, Sam Bennett was outstanding in this playoffs. I thought he was, besides Mike Smith, one of the best players for the Flames, which is really heartening, honestly, to, to say that. Um, he was fantastic, and he's the kind of guy you want on your team for the playoffs moving forward. Um, other players who are really impressive, Matthew Kachuk, he's going to be an important guy for the Flames in future fl playoff series. And... I think he, he was good. He wasn't very consistent, but I think he was what the Flames needed. And so I hope that he can learn from this and grow. Uh, Derek Ryan was incredible, especially on his face-offs. And you could, you could tell how much uh, Peters was relying on him when, for example, uh, the McKinnon line was out and the fourth line with Derek Ryan was out taking a defensive zone draw. And that's because Ryan's face-off percentages were averaging like 60 to 70% every game. That is unbelievable for someone like that who's the fourth line center to be averaging a face-off percentage like that is just incredible and it really makes a difference for the Flames team like this although they keep giving the puck away anyway so I guess it ends up not really mattering. Uh, Mark Giordano was his usual impressive self and without him it would have been a completely different series and uh, I thought that whenever he was on the ice against McKinnon he was the best player on the ice given the circumstances. Uh, rookie Yusuf Valimaki, I thought, was very, very impressive. And in the two limited games that he played, he was trusted in a lot of varying uh, situations, which I think is really telling. And I got to say, I'm very excited for him to play a lot more next year because I think he has a lot more to give for them. Because this guy is going to be an outstanding player for the Flames. And his partner, Rasmus Anderson, I thought also had a pretty strong series. And yeah, he made some mistakes and it was a, a growing series for him too. 
But th- this pairing, Valimaki and Anderson, is going to be the number one pairing for the Flames at some point. And it, it was really nice to see them play to the level that they were in the playoffs. It, it gives me a lot of hope for the future, and I hope it gives all of you hope for the future as well. Now, enough about the playoffs, because I think I've beaten that dead horse quite a bit now. Let's talk about the season that was, because we can't ignore that as, as rough as the playoffs may have been, the regular season was a complete success. And I wouldn't call it an overachievement, but I think that the Flames' regular season was one of the best that we've seen in a very long time. And we shouldn't forget that. We shouldn't let the playoffs mar what was a great season, uh, mostly because nobody expected this. Start, to start the season there, the pundits were thinking that the, the Flames and Oilers essentially would be flipped around in the standings. The Oilers would be you know, winning the West and getting into the playoffs, and the Flames would be out of the playoffs, if not fighting for one of the wildcard spots. So to see the Flames be that consistent, that deadly all the time, it was nice to see. And I, I really hope it's something they can keep up in the future, because this is an excellent team. Uh, sure, there's changes that need to be made. But I, I do think that what we've seen in the regular season for the Flames is a sign of things to come, is a sign of them saying, hey, we are, like, we are here to stay. We are here to be the number one team in the NHL at some point. And I think they're well on their way to that, and they need to keep their heads high for that. And, and there's lots to be learned from their performance here. Like We've learned that the Flames are a, a hardworking, possession-driven, uh, high-scoring, high-flying team, and, and I want them to continue being that team. Um, it, it's it, it's critical for their development as a team to keep the keep this in mind and everything that they were able to accomplish here this year that they need to keep this up and, and keep working towards a common goal of being a dominant team. They do need to make some adjustments um, in terms of in my mind physicality and being a little more I guess nasty. Sean Monahan and Johnny Gaudreau for one for two. Um, do need to add that to their repertoire. So whether that's that's gaining size, putting on muscle, Johnny Gaudreau is playing underweight in my mind. He just gets pushed around too much. If they can really use this offseason to improve their conditioning and add some strength, that will increase their chances of being a dominant force in the playoffs moving forward too, and even in the regular season as well. But having that nastiness, that that refusal to lose game in and game out will only benefit them moving forward. Um there were lots of rookies that played this year uh, for the Flames that looked outstanding. I, I talked about Yusuf Alambaki and Rasmus Anderson. They played awesome. Dylan Dubé saw limited time. He was awesome. Um, Andrew Mangiapane was... I, I should have called him out during the um, the talk about the playoffs, but he was he grew so much this year. And I, I think he's going to be a bona fide bottom six, maybe second line winger at some point for the Flames. But he is a valuable guy that they need to keep on their team, keep developing him because he is a guy who can grind it out. He's also a guy who can score um, a very valuable guy that I was quite impressed with. And lastly, David Riddick. Uh, David Riddick played far beyond what anyone expected him to be uh, in a backup role. And when Mike Smith was struggling, David Riddick stepped up and just played a a fantastic brand of of goaltending for the Flames. And I truly hope that this is not an aberration. It's completely on him next season to prove that he can be a starter. Uh, I don't know what the Flames are going to do about their backup situation. I guess I'll talk about that in the next section. But uh, David Riddick was promising, and I, I hope that can keep up. So now all that's said and done, uh, great playoffs, or sorry, great, not not great playoffs, really shitty playoffs, but great regular season, all that's over now, 
And all that's left to talk about now is where do the flames go from here? There's a lot to, to digest. Obviously, I, I talked about the playoffs for about 15 straight minutes. Um, and there's a lot that the Flames have to look in the mirror about. But at the end of the day, and I, I trust in the Flames management to be this way, the Flames have to stay the course. They need to be patient. This is, like, this is the first season that the Flames had success in, really. And there's no reason to blow it up. There's no reason to panic, to be concerned about where the Flames are going now. Because this season was... Um, their coming out party, really. And, the, and being in the playoffs and trying to make it through the next round, all of that was just bonus for them now. This time next season, if we're talking about this same thing, if they can't win in the first round next season and they get bounced early again, now there might be some panic that needs to set in. But this year, they need to stay the course. They need to look themselves in the mirror, look at what they did wrong, and try their best to fix it from the inside. And I think they have the talent to do it. I think they have the management to do it. I think they have the coaching to do it. So now it's just a matter of them being very critical of themselves and fixing the problems that we saw in the playoffs for next year. Um, they have all the tools to do it. Now they just need to do it. That being said, there are some minor changes that the Flames are going to need to be making uh, roster-wise. And a couple that come to mind right away, I don't think that Michael Froelich is going to be back. And I know, I think the Flames fans actually quite like him. He's a very likable guy. He works hard. It's pretty clear that Bill Peters doesn't trust him. And it's also pretty clear that he is a declining asset. And I, I think he's a free agent at the end of this year. I don't think you see him back. Um, and that's probably for the best because the Flames do have a bunch of young players who are ready for prime time, uh, who will play better than Michael Froelich will. As much leadership as he offers you, I think it's time to move on from that. And it only benefits the Flames to uh, part from him at this time and uh, see what they have internally moving forward. The other one who I, I truly think is going to be leaving is not a free agent. He still has term on his contract, uh, but that's TJ Brody. And it's tough to talk about this because Brody's been with the Flames for a very long time. He was another guy kind of like uh, Anderson who came up through um, the, the Flames development system and turned himself into a bona fide NHLer. But I, I don't know what's happened to him in the last couple of seasons. I don't know if he's got too much responsibility on his shoulders or what. But he has not looked like the same defenseman that he was even two years ago. And he was exposed time and time and time again in this playoffs and Nathan McKinnon himself just ate him alive. Matt Nieto ate him alive. Of all players, Matt Nieto. Brody is not a top pairing defenseman for the Flames and I, I don't think he's going to be sticking around for with the Flames come next season. I'll bet you he ends up getting packaged in a trade uh, to someone at or around the, the draft or even in the summer sometime to get some asset back. What they'll get for Brody, I have no idea. I don't know if it'll be a draft or it'll be a draft pick or a roster player. Brody does have value. I don't know how much value, but I think they're going to exercise that option now, especially since the Flames' defense is so deep and they have rookies that are ready to step in. Uh, I mean, Anderson won't be a rookie next year, neither will Valimaki, but they're ready for more minutes. And it, it's, it's minutes that right now are assigned to Brody. And uh, that's for that reason, I don't think he's going to be around. Uh, on the other hand, maybe Michael Stone leaves and Brody takes his spot on the, on the third pairing. Um, but honestly, I, I don't see a situation where Brody can stay. They, they have too much coming up that's better. The talent is better than Brody. So why hang on to a diminishing asset like that? 
a tough question that Flames management is going to have to ask themselves and the coaching staff as well is, is what about James Neal? And we could see throughout the year, he really struggled for whatever reason. I, I, I am not really in a position to say why he struggled, but he did. Um, he was a shadow of himself, not even a shell of himself. He was just a shadow. And uh, everyone was saying like, well, okay, they brought him in for the playoffs. Like that's where he shines the most is his playoff experience and his grit and gut and all that kind of stuff. And so let's wait till he get, we get to the playoffs. Well, we got to the playoffs and he looked old. He looked slow. He was ineffective. He was kept trying to, to be a pest and, and, you know, lay big checks and stuff, but he was too slow to even hit anybody. He would just freaking miss them. And it, it I think it took too long for the coaching staff to realize that Neil was not going to be working in that series. And they finally put Austin Zarnick in, in game five. And Zarnick, I thought, held his own fairly well. And he did everything that Neil could not do. Um, he was being a pest. He was laying big hits. He was playing with speed. Neil was not. And so the question now becomes for the Flames is where does Neil fit? Does he fit with the Flames? He sure seemed like a natural fit for them at the start of last year, but um, I, I don't know about it anymore. And it's a tough question because the pattern for the Flames has been that new players who come in typically take a year to settle in and they, they struggle for the first year. Dougie Hamilton was like that. Um, Noah Hannafin was like that this year a little bit. Um, Travis Hamannick was like that last year and he had a great year this year. Granted, they're all defensemen, but okay. Um, Derek Ryan had some troubles earlier this season, but he got better as, as the season went on. In my mind, I'd be willing to give Neil one more chance at this we have a, a long off season now where he can rest because he's played a lot of hockey the last couple of years. So maybe there's fatigue that comes into it. This is a guy who's never scored less than 20 goals in a year until this year. And that doesn't just go away. So maybe you chalk it up to having some misfortune. Maybe you chalk it up to him being exhausted from playing a ton of hockey over the last five years or whatever it is. Um, I say you give him another chance, but you don't give him much of a leash. Reason being is that he's holding up roster time for an excellent player in Austin Zarnick and a guy who when he got consistent minutes with the Flames really proved why he should be getting that time instead of Neil so sure Neil has a bigger contract Neil has the bigger pedigree give him another chance but if he can't put it together it's time to cut him loose and I don't know who you trade him to but you got to get rid of him then because he is holding up the development of important players on this roster. So now, maybe this isn't the best time to talk about this. Maybe it might be closer to the draft or closer to free agency, but what kind of new blood can the Flames, I guess, honestly look at for the next season? And their, their free agent signings haven't always worked out that well. Derek Ryan worked out fantastically, but we all remember Troy Brower and obviously James Neal as well. So they have to approach free agency with um, a bit of a cautious eye. But um, I, I took a, a quick peep through the uh, notable free agents that are going to be free agents come July 1st this year. And there are a couple here that would fit in really well with the Flames and what the Flames are trying to do. And given where their weaknesses were in this series, uh, notably size, strength, and grit, um, there are a couple guys that, yeah, that I would think would fit in really, really well with the Flames. One being Kevin Hayes, who's currently with the Winnipeg Jets. And sure, he struggled with the Jets since he got traded from the Rangers, but he seems to be the kind of guy who would fit in really well with the Flames. Sure, he plays center, but the Flames like to ice a lot of centers anyways and just have them move to the wings. But he's a big guy. 
he wouldn't cost all that much, probably less than $4 million a year. Um, and he's best friends with Johnny Gaudreau. They played college hockey together. Everything seems to indicate that he would be a great fit in Calgary. So I'm curious if they try and chase him at all. A couple of other guys who I don't know if would fit here that well, but would be interesting targets anyways, uh, are Ryan Dezingle, who's a younger guy. I think he's 25. Um, he was with Ottawa, and now he's with Columbus plays left wing. He's freaking fast, which we all know the Flames could use more of. Um, and he wouldn't be that expensive either. Plays left wing. Jonas Donskoy is a strong possession winger. He plays right wing. Uh, could be a natural replacement for someone like Michael Froelich. Um, one name that comes to mind, and I don't know how reasonable this is, uh, is Jordan Eberle. And the only reason why I point him out is because he's a right wing. Uh, he's from Calgary and he has a lot of skill and playoff slash important game experience that the Flames could use uh, down the line. And uh, the reason why I, th I say he might not be that reasonable is because he's coming off an expiring contract that's paying him $6 million a year. Having to pay Kachuk in the offseason, I don't think is reasonable to bring in a guy who's going to cost more than $5 million a year. So depending on what you have to sign Everly for, um, he could be an interesting target, although I don't know how reasonable it is. It could just be me thinking out loud, but uh, an interesting name for sure. Michael Furland is uh, familiar to the Flames, and he is going to be a free agent as well. And I know there's some talk about him returning. I am a big fan of the guy, just personally. Um, although I don't think that he fits into what the Flames are trying to do anymore. If he signs anywhere, he'll want to be like a top-tier guy. And I don't think he's a top-tier guy for the Flames. So I would be cautious with that one. So as we go into the, uh, the offseason now... I just wanted to close by saying it was a great season. It, it, I wrote down good in my notes to begin with, but no, it was a great season and it was a lot of fun. The playoffs were disappointing, sure, but it just shows that the Flames have everything that it takes to be a great team, although they still have a lot of work and maturation to do. So moving forward, I hope that they can look critically. I hope we can be patient with them and I hope that they can prove themselves and to the NHL that they are for real next year. Um, anyway, enjoy the rest of the playoffs. Uh, can't wait for next season already. And as always, thanks for listening.